where one's authority comes from is extremely important. And it's important because where your authority comes from determines the scope and the impact of that authority. So to give you an example, I'm a teacher. I have a certain amount of authority in my classroom. Now that authority is given to me by a couple of sources. One, the school, and two, the parents who signed the, con- like the behavioral contract and all that. And so I have the authority in my classroom to say that a kid cannot wear a certain shirt or a kid cannot wear a certain set of pants or shoes because they don't fit our uniform policy. They have to have navy dress pants and a white polo and it's got to be tucked in and they have to have a matching black or brown belt and shoes. Like, I have the authority to make sure that they have those while they're in my classroom. Now, if on a Saturday I run into one of my students at a movie theater and they're in jeans and a sloppy t-shirt that's not tucked in, I have no right to say anything. I can't go up to them and tell them, hey, you need to tuck that shirt in and it's the wrong shirt anyway and you're going to have a detention on Monday because you're out of uniform. No, because my authority begins at 7.30 in the morning when they walk in the school building, and it ends at 3.30 when they leave the school building, and I have no authority outside of that because my authority comes from the school, and therefore the scope of it is in the school during school hours. That's where my authority begins and ends. Now, the greater someone's source of authority, the more widespread their authority is. The more things it will cover, the more weight it carries. And certainly, anytime somebody has authority like that, any authority in our lives, what do we want? We want those people to use it well, right? We want to know that they are going to use the authority they have well. That's why a judge has gone through law school, because they have a lot of authority. They have the full authority of the law behind them and to execute that law. And when it's broken, they have the right, they have the authority to punish those who have not upheld the law. And so we want anybody who's in authority to have a good character. And the higher that source of authority, the bigger that source of authority, the more we want their character and their training to be true and good. Today, as we continue exploring Mark, we're going to see that Jesus is going to bestow His authority upon His disciples. Now that's some serious authority being handed down. When we're talking about God the Son telling His apostles they have authority, that's a big deal to pass that kind of authority on. And so let's read Mark 3.13-19 as we think about the scope of the authority uh, that Jesus is giving to His apostles. Once again, that's Mark 3.13-19. Says, and he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. That's a great nickname, isn't it? Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. 
Now, at this point in time, there are a lot of people following Jesus around. It would be somewhat hard not to follow him. He's come, he's preaching in authority, he's just doing miraculous signs and wonders. He's proven that he has authority even over demons. So there are a lot of people that Jesus has following him around. And you know, I've always kind of considered it an amazing thing that he chose the 12 he chose because he had all these people following him around. You know, Jesus came to earth because he came to proclaim the gospel. He came to proclaim forgiveness of sins and restoration to God. And that's a hugely, obviously, that's the most important thing that will ever be done on this earth. And Jesus has come proclaiming the kingdom of God. And He knows what's coming and what that means. That One day, He is going to be on the cross. And He will be executed. He will die and He will rise again. And He will ascend to the heavens. And then at that point, though, He has chosen men who will carry on His ministry. And if you and I were choosing those men to do that, who are we going to choose? We're going to choose the best and the brightest, right? That's who we want. Those who are well thought of. Those who have a lot of influence. That's who we're going to want to carry on our ministry, right? Surely that's who Jesus would choose to do it. But He actually chose a very motley crew. When you read this, you know... um, if you wanted someone to, to carry on your message, you know who you would not do, choose to do it faithfully? Fishermen. You ever tried to get a fisherman to tell the same story twice and like not exaggerate it? No, fishermen are terrible at this. They catch a 12-inch fish. And you know, that night they're telling their buddies it was you know, 15 inches. And if you hear them tell the story a year later, that fish was almost a state record. You know, that's what fishermen do. They embellish. They're not known for being able to tell a story well and to be trusted with what you hear. And yet, James and John, those brothers, and Simon, Peter, and Andrew, those brothers, are all fishermen. And he calls them to carry on his ministry. And he calls Matthew, the tax collector. Who trusts the the tax collector? Who thinks highly of him? Or what about Simon the Zealot? A zealot was someone who was just ultra-nationalistic. They were like, a, a, you know, think of the, the ultra-nationalist nut job, you know. You know, think of that guy. Is that the guy you're choosing to faithfully pass on your ministry? And of course, we see things as men, right? As men and women, as people. And so we'd go, I'd never choose those guys to do it. But we read in the Scripture that this is who Jesus desires to be his apostles to be those who are not only closest to him but those who he's going to entrust the ministry to afterwards and that should tell us something that it's not who they are or where they came from that's most important but it's this is what's most important is that it was jesus who called them jesus called these 12 men one of whom he knew was going to betray him to be with him and to learn from Him and love Him and be loved by Him and be trained up. Because if you want someone to carry on what you've started, that's what you do. Right? Many of you are in the trades. You went through an apprenticeship to be able to carry on that trade faithfully. And what did you have to do in that apprenticeship? You had to be close with that person. You had to learn what they were doing. You know, I never had a a true apprenticeship like that, uh, but I I had a really informal one when it came to race cars. I wanted to be a race car driver. Truth be told, I still want to be a race car driver. You know, a little bit, I'd love to do that. 
you've ever driven with me, you know that's true. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, it, this isn't like some new thing I wanted to do. I wanted to do it when I was a kid. And so what my parents did was one of our former landlords was a drag racer. And so he had, I mean, this guy was no joke. Back in 1963, he set the NHRA speed record in his class. Like, this guy knew how to build race cars, and they were fast cars. And so what I did when I was 15 was I showed up at his house one day. My parents had arranged it, and he started teaching me everything he knew. He brought me close to him, just as Jesus is calling these 12 men. What does he call them to do? To be with him. And while I was there, this racer's name was Jack. The first, I walk in the door, and Jack starts with the basics. And he says, here's what you need to know first. Here's the firing order of a small block Chevy engine. It's 18436572. I still know it. I was with him. He taught it to me. It was what was important. And then after that, once he knew I knew that, he started handing me more and more things. He taught me how to build the engine. He taught me how to work on the transmission and how to put the two together and put them in the car. Then he taught me about the electrical systems in the car. And he taught me how to make the car run well and consistent. He taught me how to do a burnout in the car. He taught me how to shift the car and when to shift the car. And for four years, every summer, I was with Jack from the beginning of the season when we started building the engine in February until September or October when the season would end. And I was with him. And for four years, I learned, I was by his side learning and learning and learning from him. Finally, after four years, he went, hey, you want to drive the car in a race? Of course I want to drive the car in a race. So guess what? He lets me. And as I'm, the, the, it's building up to the race, I'm talking with my dad. And I realize, now keep in mind, I'm 19. And I've never driven a car anywhere near this fast really before. And my, it becomes apparent in the conversation that my dad doesn't trust me to drive this car. Like my dad is really worried about me driving this race car. And I told that to Jack. And Jack goes, I trust you. I trust you because I've taught you everything. See, Jack trusted me with the authority of his car to race it in a real race because I had been with him for four years, and for four years he had taught me everything about that car. And so he trusted me to take it. And so we might look at Jesus' disciples and say, you know what, I wouldn't trust them on the surface. They don't seem like the people I would call. But Jesus calls them so that they will be with him. So they'll be loved by him and learn from him and they will see how he exercises the authority he has so that they can do the same when he sends them out. And let's read now about Jesus sending them out. Still in Mark, Mark 6, 7 through 13. Mark 6, 7 through 13. It says, And he called the twelve, and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick, 
and healed them. So that's what Jesus does. They're with Him. He trains them. In between when He first calls the apostles in this sending out, Jesus teaches in parables. He explains the parables to them. They see Him cast out demons. They see Him heal the sick. They see that He even has the authority over the weather. He calms the storm and stops the wind. They are with Him during that time. And now He sends them out. And when He sends them out with their authority, it's not just Jesus saying they have their authority. He has actually given them that authority. And we see it because we see all these signs and wonders. They're able to cast out demons. They're able to heal the sick. They are able to preach effectively because Jesus has given them that authority to do so. So we follow a similar, uh, not a similar model, we follow the same model here at Restoration Road that Jesus did. You know, when we call a leader in this church, we call someone to be a deacon, let's say, or when we send out that first church planner, we're going to follow this model. Why? Well, if Jesus did it, we probably ought to do it too. But if you're wondering how we got to start this church in the first place, it's because Seven Mile Road followed this model as well. Joey and I, for years, were in relationship with the pastors there. And we each, on separate years, but we each spent a year in what they call their ox track. And their ox track is where they train their pastors, where we are with them, where they make sure our doctrine is sound, and where they make sure that our lives are being lived according to Scriptures and that we love our families as we ought to. We're with them that whole time. So that when they sent us to start this church, they knew we were ready to do it because we'd been through all that. And we didn't just come up with that model. We see that that's what Jesus did. And He sent them out. And again, we know that He passed His authority on to them because they were able to do the same works that He was able to do. That's what marked them as true apostles. And if you read the book of Acts, you see that after Jesus ascends to heaven, And these apostles are sent out to start the church, the body of Christ, to build it up. That they're able, what marks them as apostles is that they're able to do this. They preach repentance and they preach and people respond. They heal the sick. They even raise the dead. The apostles were given this authority by Jesus and these signs and these wonders, these miracles proved it. Paul, when his apostleship is brought into question, because if you notice, Paul wasn't actually in that list, but we refer to Paul as an apostle all the time. He does it himself. You know what he points to to defend his apostolic ministry? He says the true signs of an apostle were performed in front of you. That's how you know. He said, he even admitted, he's like, my calling was untimely. I was born too late. But he, the risen Christ, the resurrected Christ, appeared to Paul and gave him that authority. And it was proven by these signs and these wonders and these miracles. And so, because they were able to show that, we, know, we can trust that they have this authority from Jesus. We know that this authority has been given to them. Now that's extremely important to us because these are the men who are going to go on to write the New Testament. That's so important to us. Because if just a bunch of guys got together, like if we sat down one day and we're like, all right, 
you know, we're gonna, I'm going to gather 11 people around and we're going to write up some, some sayings. And they're going to sound good and they're going to be good for life. Uh, you know, they're going to be wise sayings. But if it's just humanly wisdom, then it's something we can take or leave. If, all were, if the, the New Testament was written by men who were just acting on their own and of their own authority, then it is definitely something that can be taken or left. But that's not who it was written by. It was written by the apostles of Jesus Christ who gave them their authority, who gave them His authority to do so. So they had the authority to write the Scriptures. They had the authority to say, this is what church should look like. This is how a Christian should live. They had that authority to do so. And so we can look at the Scriptures and we can go, this is God's Word. Sure, it was written by men. But it was written by men who were divinely inspired and who had the authority to write that Scripture from who? God the Son. That's where their authority to write that came from. And that's why we can look at Scripture and go, this is God's Word and it has authority in our lives and not just in our lives, but in everyone's life. That's also why we say the canon is closed. You've heard that term, the canon of Scripture is closed meaning it cannot be added to. The books that are in there are in there. Nothing else is coming. You know why? Because nobody else has been given that authority to write Scripture. That Scripture, or the Scripture that we have, was written by men who had that authority, but that authority stopped there. It was not theirs to further pass on so that more Scripture could be written. And so, you know, a lot of people will ask me about, well, what about like the Book of Mormon? It's called Another Testament of Jesus Christ. Okay, it's called that. There's a, a few, uh, few problems with it. One of the problems is it was written by a man not that long ago, if you look at the grand scheme of things, who was not an apostle of Jesus Christ. He did not have the authority to write Scripture. That was never given to him. It was also warned about by the apostles that people would come who would be false apostles, who would claim to have the authority that they didn't have. And so we can read in Scripture that there are these warnings that even if an angel of the it says, even if an angel appears to you preaching another gospel, you don't believe it. Because that authority to write Scripture and, and to have it written down and have authority began and ended there with those apostles. And so we don't look at Scripture and say, oh yeah, you know, this is something that can be added to or taken away from. It can't. Because that authority was with those men and it stopped with those men. It has not been passed on to the future. The primary, uh, the primary criteria for a book to have been included in the New Testament was either that it was a, written directly by an apostle, or B, written directly under the supervision of an apostle. So if we look at our four Gospels, we have Matthew and John. Matthew and John are apostles. Mark and Luke worked directly with the apostles. So they weren't just pulling this out of nowhere. It was the apostles telling them, this is what happened. This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus did. And so therefore, anything that is, does not come from these men is not Scripture. And so that takes out 
a whole lot of later writings. You know, Dan Brown made a fortune on, uh, you know, saying that there were other writings essentially that were effectively the truth. But no, they were written later. They weren't written by the apostles, even though they might have those names. Like, for example, the Gospel of Thomas, not Scripture. It wasn't written by Thomas. Got his name on it because they were trying to sneak it in there, but it wasn't written by him. So it's not Scripture. So we don't treat it as Scripture. We don't use it here in our church. And you shouldn't use it in your church or in your devotional life or anything because it's not Scripture. It doesn't carry that authority because it wasn't written by an apostle. Now, because the apostles had that authority to do that, and they've written down, written it down, and it carries that authority, right? We believe it is the divine inspired word of God. It does have authority in your life. And that's why you will constantly hear us drive you to the scriptures. That's why Joey and I preach from the scriptures. We don't just get up here and preach whatever we feel like. We don't we preach what's from the scriptures because we don't have, even as pastors, we don't have the authority to say, you know, this is a new revelation or this is God's word or anything like that. No. No, we always go to the scriptures and we always encourage you to go to the scriptures. We encourage you to read them daily because it, they are God's word. They carry that authority in your life. And so even when we correct someone in their living, when we, uh, you know, we, we've come to many of you and we've said, look, you know, this is sin. We want you to repent of it. We aren't standing on our own authority there when we do that. We are using the authority that's in the Word of God. Because it was written by men who had that authority. It was divinely inspired by God to be written by men who had the authority from Jesus to do so. So, that's one way we can apply this, is that we can know we can turn to the Scriptures, and that those Scriptures have authority in our lives. They are the Word of God, and they should shape our lives. But also, I don't want it to just end there, because while the authority of the apostles was unique, the call of the apostles to go and spread the Gospel was not unique to them. That is something that has been passed on and will continue to be passed on, and indeed, we all have a call to share the Gospel. We have a call to those around us to share the gospel with them, whether it is at work or our neighbors or our family. We should be doing that. You know, when Joey gave our uh, vision message a few weeks back, what did he focus on? It was on the Great Commission, right? That Jesus was sending his apostles and his disciples out into the whole world to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim that Jesus had come to die on the cross from people's sins and that if they would repent and place their faith in Him, that their sins would be forgiven. And He tells them, teach them all that I have commanded you. That is not a unique call that stopped them. So while that authority to write Scripture was unique to them, that call is not unique. That call is for us all to do. To spread the good news that Jesus came to whoever God has placed in our life to do so. And so let me encourage you to do that. To be like the apostles. Go out and preach. And you don't have to worry about whether you have the authority or not because the Scriptures have the authority. They are the Word of God. And so Restoration Road, let's fulfill 
that call to go and share the gospel and teach what Scripture says to those around us. Knowing that as we stand on Scripture, we stand not on the writings of men or on the authority of men, but on the authority of Jesus, who has been given all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth. Let's pray.